Good morning. It's once again a privilege uh, to be here with you all this morning, uh, to worship with you and uh, to bring the Word of God to you uh, on Father's Day. Uh, I hadn't actually thought about this, but um, uh, I am preaching on the Father uh, this morning, uh, but in a different sort of way than you probably think of. I I want to talk a little bit uh, this morning about uh, godly fear. And uh, Tim Keller starts his uh, book on suffering uh, with what he calls the rumble of the panic that is below or beneath everything. There is chaos just below the surface of every institution, and terror is a real part of creation. Fear for the safety of our children going to school was, was always there, but now it's epidemic. Is our electric grid safe? Is our world, even our government, secure? I remember my mother telling me uh, about her fear during World War II. And I asked her, Mom, why, why were you afraid? She said, well, I didn't want to lose your dad. And I believe if we lost the war, our lives would be horribly changed. And I wondered if this was the end of the world. She went to a Bible study where they were teaching that this was indeed the end of the world. And uh, they had all the participants all lined up and connected and with scripture verses and so forth. My mom said it didn't help. She needed help understanding fear. I think the preacher of Hebrews gives us that kind of guidance. So here this reading of the word of the Lord. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in holy fear, although he was a son. He learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, as we open your word, uh, we pray that you would indeed speak to us, each one of us, where we are in that moment, uh, in that circumstance that we need to hear you. We pray that by your spirit, uh, you would... Uh, Give us the fire of your love and that you would renew us and that you, by that means, would create, recreate the earth. Lord, uh, help us to take you, you and your word seriously in our lives and in our faith. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, we are taught in this passage to remember that Jesus was afraid. Real human fear gripped him so that he cried out for help with tears and petitions to his father who could save him from this ordeal. The secularists tell us that when he yelled out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the moment, they say, that Jesus realized that there was no one there. No one to hear him. 
He was alone. And this was, in fact, the end. He learned, they say, to accept that and die. Just die. But that's not what the Scriptures tell us. No, the Scriptures tell us he was heard. The psalmist in Psalm 22, the psalm which is about this very ordeal, about this very moment, about this very Messiah who would suffer in our place. When Messiah comes, he will ask this very question. The misery and sorrow of bearing our curse, and he will be answered. Psalm 22, verse 24 For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. God has not hidden his face. The Father has not hidden his face from his Son, from Messiah. That's what the psalmist is saying to us. But he has heard him when he cried to him. That's a strong rebuke to the secularist. Messiah will go toward godly fear. He, who, who, uh, who, he will go toward the fear of God who is holy and trustworthy. Jesus tells us three times that he will be crucified and die, and on the third day he will rise. He does not run, he does not hide, he does not try to fight. He goes to it. Then in the garden before his trial, we see the effects of fear on the very human Jesus. His flesh is screaming and warning him, this is dangerous. The flesh was doing what it was created to do. Fear is the emotion that warns us of our inherent desire for security. The worry of tears, the sweat of blood, is the anxiety that perceives the imminent loss of everything, of all possessions. It's the, it's the apprehension, that apprehension of impending trouble, even death. The insecurity is personal, and the danger is real. We feel unprotected, and we must arm ourselves with more of what we believe will keep us safe. For Jesus, that is his Father, God himself. When I first came to University Presbyterian Church in 1992, you remember, those of you who know my story, remember that I was returning home. I grew up in Las Cruces. I'd been away for a number of years, and I was being called back to my home church. And I was afraid. I was afraid I would, fa- I would uh, fail. Hometown boy, can't go home. I feared that I didn't know what I was doing. I was afraid that it would, they'd, they'd figure me out, they'd see right through me in just a few months, and they'd release me. And God sent a young man by the name of Scott Horn, who's a deacon of our church, who had a malady that would kill him before he was 44 years of age. Four of his siblings had already died between 40 and 44. It was one of those maladies that could not be prevented or treated. It was going to happen. And Scott, every morning, every Sunday morning, as I left my office 
and went to the sanctuary, stood at the sanctuary door, grinned at me with this big grin, and said, Do not fear. Be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Every Sunday until he died. Now, at first, that was very encouraging and very comforting. And then after months and years went by, it was a little irritating. (laughs) And then finally, I got it. Scott was putting the fear of God before me. It was a wonderful lesson. I hope you can begin to hear what I'm saying to you. Our fears cause our flesh to try to protect ourselves. That's, that's its job. It's doing its job. But it may not lead us in the right direction. Here's our real security. Instead of trying to defend ourselves, instead of trying to provide our own security, our position in godly fear is being lined up with God himself, with his providence, with his, pers- with his purpose. Our preacher is telling us that godly fear has the immediate effect of learning obedience as a son. And the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal that he has for each of us is that we be a priesthood set apart. Jesus is not is not heard because of his piety here, or as your ESV says, his reverence. I think that's a, not a good translation. There's nothing in him in this verse, in Hebrews 4. No, the word here is best translated holy fear, I think, first of all, and a fear that has set him apart because it is from God. It is coming to him from his Father. In his union with the Father, the fear is coming to him. A fear that has set him apart. It has no possessive, his, associated with it. And the preposition here is from, accompanying, on, uh, accompanying it is from, not on account of. So this is the way I would translate the verse. Out of his cries, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard in this holy fear from God. Do you see how that just did 180? Most of us are thinking, you know, you know that, that we're, we got this fear, this, this thing. God is so powerful, so awful, so terrible. He is all of those things. I'm not undermining that at all. But then we push it away. No, it's coming to us from him. Simply, I'm saying Jesus was heard because his fear clearly identified God's judgment on sin, and in this case, on him. As a human being who was the substitute for his people, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him, of Christ. It's for our sakes, it's for our security, it's for our safety. It's for our salvation. There's a wonderful example of this in Psalm 130. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to, I'm not going to exegete this psalm, though you should. It's a beautiful psalm. 
Psalm 130. This is the psalm of the pilgrim. Remember, these are the psalms of ascent. These are the songs they sing as they go up to the city of God. They go up to worship. This is a picture of you and me on our journey. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Whoa, that just did another flip on me and on you if you're thinking about this correctly. Who's the one who has authority to forgive you? The one you have sinned against, your father. He has the authority to forgive you. And that's exactly what he promises. The fear that he sends to us is that he has that relationship with us. Both that he holds us under judgment, but that judgment is dealt with. He pays for the judgment and he forgives. That creates a holy fear in us, not an abhorrent fear, a fear that we want to run to. I want to run to my father at this point. If you are sinned against you know, you, your husband sins against you, your wife sins against you, your father sins against you, your child sins against you. The only one who has authority, I don't have the authority to, to forgive you for that. The only one who has authority to forgive you is the one who is offended. They must forgive you. That creates some fear. Oh, I'm going to have to humble myself. I'm going to have to say I'm sorry. I'm going to say, would you forgive me? Would you bear this debt? Would you bear this pain? Would you bear this wound that I've just given you? There's some fear in that. But if you will not forgive, then you have forgotten that you are forgiven. You have forgotten the holy fear of God who has taken your sin away. And so, if you remember that, you run toward it and you say, I will bear. I will suffer. Your offense, I will take it and I will give it to my Father in the same way that Jesus gave it to our sins to Him. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You know, that helps me. You sin against me, I, it te- helps me to say, okay, Father, I'm going to forgive them. I, and I tell you, I'm going to forgive you. And then it helps me to say, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know what they've done to me. Forgive them. And that sin is carried away. It's dealt with. That's the force here of this pilgrim. In the the depths, he's walking in the depths of sin. He's walking in the the corruption of this world. He's walking in the distrust of of leaders. He's walking in, uh, in his own or her own vileness, corruption, deceit. He's walking in that depth. And he cries out to the Lord in holy fear. You're the one. Who must forgive? This is the very intention. All of this is that you may be feared. It is holy fear that leads us to him because he can be trusted. His relationship with us is real. His word is not broken. He redeems his people from judgment. Run to him.
This is the very intention of holy fear, to learn obedience to God rather than anything in this corrupted flesh. Worry is the uneasy sense of uh, impending trouble. It's the apprehension of the loss of all those things which we hope will give us security. Fear identifies that we are about to lose everything in this situation. Dr. Henry Krabendam uh, was a, a professor at uh, Covenant College for years, and I've traveled with him many, many times in, in Africa and heard him preach. Uh, and he's a wonderful man, a godly man, a wonderful preacher of God's truth. He tells this story. He had a very close friend, very wealthy man, uh, lived in Florida, and <clears throat> he went out and bought himself a huge, beautiful boat. And uh, he loved to sit on that boat and on the, watch the sunsets in the evening. He loved to go out and fish on that boat. He, he would take trips with his family up the, the inland channel all the way to wherever that goes, Washington, D.C. or Chesapeake Bay, I guess. Uh, and then a hurricane came, and it destroyed his boat. And he was crushed. And he moped around for weeks and weeks and months. And finally his wife said, didn't you always, haven't you always said that everything you possess belongs to the Lord? Yes, of course that's what I've always said. Then Jesus just said, thank you very much. <laughs> Jesus saw that he had to lose. He saw it that he had to give up all he possessed, heaven, privilege, his righteousness, relationships, especially his human relationship with his Father in heaven. And that included life itself. As a man, he learned that his love uh, for us meant he had to keep all the conditions of the covenant the covenant he made with the Father in heaven, the covenant which meant that he would keep every jot and tittle of the law of God perfectly, that he would actively pursue the will of God, and that included his passive obedience in terms of his submission to suffering, to this ordeal, because he would become the true Lamb of God. His obedience grew with every choice to die, to power, to miracle, to human comforts, all of his love and understanding of our, for our salvation. All out of that understanding of our salvation. He learned that he had to sustain as a man the whole judgment of God on this world, on our enemy, and on human sin, our sin. And as such, he was set apart. He was sanctified, set apart for this holy work. His fear, his holy fear was showing him that our comp his complete surrender, his complete humility would be found in his dependence upon God. That everything would resolve in that relationship to his father. 
Ultimately, fear reveals our insecurity, or better, where the, uh, where the only eternal security is found. Fear reveals our jeopardy and our danger. I had an older friend who used to come to church every Sunday with his wife because she was a believer, a Christian, and he wanted to learn all he could about Christianity. He felt certain that he was not predestined to be a Christian. That led to numerous conversations over years. One time he invited me to go to his favorite camping place with him. We went up to Apache Lake above Phoenix, and it was absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. He had a little camper to sleep in, and we enjoyed the trip up, and we enjoyed the days there. It was just gorgeous. And, and, and that night, that first night, the sky opened up, in that gorgeous desert clear canopy of the Milky Way, and I stood there just praising God for His power and His glory and His majesty. It was, a, it was an awesome evening. But Arthur wouldn't leave the camper. I realized he was terrified. And later he told me, I can't go out under the stars. It causes a choking, a shaking fear, in, and it brings up all my insecurities. That's exactly what holy fear is supposed to do. We must lose ourself. Jesus prayed, I have sanctified myself. I have set myself apart that they may also be made holy. Our only security is in the one who being made perfect became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Writer of Hebrews says. This is the result of our holy sacrifice, this is the result of a holy sacrifice which has been made by a perfect priest. Our preacher is declaring that ultimately Jesus is initiated into this perfect priesthood. The perfect priesthood of Melchizedek, Melchizedek through the fear of God. Because in that fear he offers up a holy sacrifice of his suffering and death in our place until it is accomplished. There is no more judgment for Jesus Christ. For Jesus the man who is the true Messiah, who is the fulfiller of the covenant, the maker of a new covenant. There is no more judgment for all those who are in union with him by their faith in him. We have been made a holy priesthood. Behold, I have come to do your will, and by that will we have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The preacher of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10. We have entered into the holy of holies. Through the flesh, through the curtain which is his flesh. Holy fear. Calvin says, by his perfect priesthood, offering his holy sacrifice, he becomes the author of our eternal salvation. There is our security. It's in him, not in us. Not in anything here that was created. It's in Jesus This comes to all who obey, Calvin says. Hear his call to believe and trust in his work. 
Here is the priest who, like Melchizedek, keeps the covenant and invites us to the feast of bread and wine. Jesus' fear, his holy fear, drives him toward his Father. He is not willing to lose his relationship. He will not, he is not willing to lose that which is most precious, his most precious possession for his, as a human being, his home with God the Father. So in godly fear, he knows that he will not, that, sorry, he knows that he will finish the work the Father gave him to do, which could not be accomplished without arduous effort. In holy fear, he knows he will be heard. He knows he will be delivered. He knows he will rise from the dead. He knows that he will rule heaven and earth. He will exercise his authority in, our, in the lives of his people. He will be delivered from what he feared. <laughs> the Father grants every prayer of ours necessary for life and for eternal salvation. If you think your prayers are not being heard, if you think your prayers are being repulsed, and you're filled with, maybe I should call it unholy fear, <laughs> or if fear is driving you, you ask yourself, where is it driving? Is it driving me to my Father? Is it driving me to where I will find my security? Or is it driving me somewhere else? And, and just stop and think that if Jesus... That Jesus um, uh, 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 he, he obtained far more than if the Father had granted that request in the garden. Godly fear is the position of those who by faith habituate, find their home in His providence, who then yield all possessiveness to learn obedience and love. If your fear is moving you away from God, let it identify the possession that you think is so important. Stop and think. What is it do I think is going to save me, secure me, make me feel better, make me happy? That's the American way of thinking. And once you've identified it, give it up. Give it away. Give it to the Lord. You will be heard in that which you fear. He will say, Thank you. You know, there's sort of a funny sort of twist on this when I think about it. You become what you fear. If I fear that the world is going to turn upside down, then that fear will eat me alive. If I fear that I'm not going to have enough money, that fear will eat me alive. But if I run to God, in godly fear to Christ, I become like Christ. He changes me every day into his own image. He grants me his peace. That's another sermon for another day. <laughs> godly fear. Godly fear overcomes all evil.
Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Amen.